This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are you guys excited about studying God's Word together today? And turn to Colossians chapter 4. This morning we're going to be in our penultimate message in the book of Colossians as we've studied this semester. For those of you who want a vocab lesson today, that means second to last. <laughs> In Colossians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 2. This is really Paul's last paragraph of instruction in the book of Colossians. We're going to get to some housekeeping items in next week's sermon as he makes his concluding thoughts. But this is really the last exhortation that he's going to give here in this passage in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And it's a really good final reminder. It's a really good final commission. And if you look at the last several weeks of our uh, teaching together, we have looked at what the new gospel life looks like lived out in the Christian community. And so we've looked at how we are to behave in our homes and how we are to submit in our workplaces. We've looked at how we're to live the gospel as the Christian community. And now he's going to focus the attention outside of our four walls and towards outsiders, towards those whom we come encounter, we encounter on any given day. And so I'm going to pick up in verse 2 and read to verse 6. And Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you look in your study notes today, you can see that the direction in which I'm taking this is living intentionally. And the reason why I'm going in this direction is because I really believe if you look at our world and our place in the world, if we're really honest about ourselves, about our neighbors, about our families, there really is so much about our life that we just live by happenstance, right? We just kind of live haphazardly. We just kind of take it as it comes. We live far more reactively than we do proactively in our lives just simply reacting to circumstances, reacting to situations, not thinking ahead of the curve or getting in front of the things that are going on in our lives. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think we would say that culturally speaking, we kind of just live life on accident many times. But I believe when we look at this paragraph, what Paul is pointing our attention to is that by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God wants to redeem every moment of our life, every aspect of our life, and wants to move us from living a life of haphazard approach to life to being a life of intentionality, that we're, that we're proactively going into our world, that we are proactively living for Christ, that we are proactively pursuing our neighbors or our family members or perhaps our, our, our roommates on campus. And so what I want to point our attention to this morning is that God wants us to live intentionally in a haphazard world. He wants us to live on purpose, oftentimes in a world that could be described as a life of accidents or almost. And to get there, 
I believe we see at least three big picture truths to help us get there and to think about that. And the first thing that we're going to see here, and you can pick up here in your notes, is that your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. And that's what verses 2, 3, and 4 really underscore for us. In verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Some translations might say, devote yourself to prayer. And this is, this is a, a common theme throughout the Bible. We don't have time to look at all the different passages in the Bible that remind us to do something like this. But that word devotion means that this should be something that should really characterize our lives. Now we can read that phrase and we can, we can hear continue steadfastly or devote yourself to prayer. And we can think that somehow it's kind of like going to our spiritual workout, right? And so if we're not praying hard enough, if we're not sweating while we're praying, that somehow we're not devoting ourselves to prayer. And we can, we can in, in really an unhelpful way, think that being devoted to prayer means an intensity in prayer, a loudness in prayer, or an energetic prayer. And that's not exactly what Paul means. When he says continue steadfastly in prayer, or to be devoted to prayer, it means that there should be this persistence, perseverance, and personification of praying in our lives. That it's not just simply something that we, we kind of have this quiet time lockbox at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, but it's something that should go with us throughout our day. Donald Whitney says this in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, everyone is devoted to something. Most of us are devoted to many things. When you make something a priority, when you will sacrifice for it, when you will give time to it, you know you are devoted to it. God expects Christians to be devoted to prayer. Perhaps a helpful exercise or maybe even a frightening exercise for you to do might would be to go back through your last week and just kind of track how you spent your hours. How much time did you spend watching television? How much time did you spend listening to podcasts? How much time did you spend on YouTube? How much time did you spend playing video games? How much time would you spend just sleeping, right? I mean, it would be really good for us sometimes to just evaluate and take stock with how we spend our hours. And it can be very illuminating to us because we can kind of see that perhaps we have more time on our hands than we think we did. But it's also very enlightening and maybe even frightening because we can see how little attention and how little devotion we spend to eternal spiritual things and how much attention we spend on quite lesser things. And we'll underscore and find out exactly what we're devoted to. That could be an eye-opening experience for us this morning. He says that our prayers matter, and we're going to go through here and give you at least three ways that we should be thinking about praying in light of this passage. Number one, pray continually. Pray continually. Now, I want you to hear my heart. I'm for quiet times. I'm for devotionals. It's a good thing. Jesus models this for us in the Gospels. And, and I think oftentimes when we think of praying, we're thinking about being in our, quote, prayer closet, that special place we go, that special chair we sit in, that special room that we're in when we're having our time with God. And I want to affirm that and bless that. I want to tell you to continue doing that. If you're not doing that in a disciplined way, I want to encourage you and push you towards that. But I also want to encourage you to come Come from that. And not only to pray in that organized, disciplined way, but I want to encourage you to take it with you. I want to encourage you to take it with you out the door. I want to encourage you to take it with you when you're in traffic. 
Maybe when you're going up 10, uh, 10 flights on an elevator, I want, you to, want to encourage you to take it when you're, when you're going on a run or when you're exercising, when you're on your way to meet someone, just simply uttering a prayer. This is the idea of praying continually. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And it doesn't simply mean that we are walking around with our eyes closed and our our hands folded, bumping into things and hurting ourselves. That's not the picture of praying without ceasing. The picture is, you know those nagging, persistent coughs that we have during allergy season or perhaps after having a cold, they just won't go away. And then when you just inflect your voice the right way, a cough just kind of comes out. You've been there. We've come through the New England winter. We probably know what we're talking about there. That's the idea of praying without ceasing, that we are living our lives in such a way that at any point we could just start audibly talking to God and uttering a prayer to him and asking for his blessing or asking for his attention to a specific detail or a setting in which we may be entering. So praying continually means it doesn't mean that we don't have that quiet time. It just means that what happens in our quiet time doesn't stay in our quiet time. We're taking it with us throughout the day. So pray continually. He says continue steadfastly in prayer. But secondly, pray extensively. Pray extensively. He says being watchful in it. Or maybe someone's translation out there says be alert in it. And so this means a couple of different things. So it could be simply just to be awake. We are to be awake when we are praying. You remember the disciples in the garden praying with Jesus. They are rebuked by Jesus because they keep falling asleep while Jesus is over here sweating drops of blood, right? And so Jesus tells them, stay awake. And so in, in the very simple sense of this command, it could simply mean finding the time of day that is most conducive to your cognitive ability to, to engage the heart and mind of God, right? And so probably... After pulling an all-nighter, that's probably not the best time to have a good time of prayer, right? And most college students are going, wait a minute, is there another time to pray after pulling an all-nighter, right? So one is just making sure that we are awake. But it also means that we should be spiritually alert. It means that we should be aware of what's going on. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God has put a spiritual radar inside of each one of us. And, and when the Holy Spirit is working inside of us and calling our attention to things that are going on, calling our attention to things that we should pray for, we should be engaged with that. We should be alert to that. We should be mindful of the things going on in my life, in my brothers and sisters' lives, in my family's lives, in my church's life, in missional life. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So we're to pray extensively. The Bible actually tells us that we are to pray about everything. That's what Philippians 4, 6 tells us. Not to be anxious about anything, not to worry about anything, but instead to pray about everything. And so what Paul is getting at here is that we should be alert and spiritually attuned to what's going on in the world, what's going on in our lives, our church, so that we can pray for it. And one of the helpful things that you could do here, just to give you a practical takeaway to this morning, could be to, to have a prayer journal. If you don't have a prayer journal, it could just simply be a notebook. It could be on your iPhone. 
It could be in your notes, whatever you want to use, and you could categorize your prayers. You could list all the different people in your life whom you want to pray for. You could be praying evangelistically. You could pray in a disciple-making focus. You could be praying missionally for the globe. You could be praying for your church leadership, praying for your brothers and sisters, praying for your family. You could have all these different names and categories. And then what you can do is then you can divide those out across the week. And there may be some things you're praying for every day. There may be other things, other people you're only praying for once a week. But you're, you're mindful of them because your, your prayer journal is reminding you what you've put in there to pray. And, and, it's, and it's forcing you to pray for things that you wouldn't ordinarily think about. So we should be praying continually, yes, but also praying extensively and widely in our lives. So we see that God is not just concerned about the frequency of our prayer life. And he's not simply concerned about the content of our prayer lives only. He's also concerned about the posture of our heart because he says that we should be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And that's also another great way to widen your prayer time is to just simply be mindful of all the blessings God has given you and to recount that back to God from a posture of thanksgiving and gratitude and simply thanking him for what he's done. So pray continually Pray extensively. And lastly, Paul's going to tell us to pray missionally. Pray missionally. Look at what he requests. He's very bold here. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now look at what he prays for. Because this is where Christians sometimes really, we, we, can, we can misinterpret what the scriptures are telling us. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. Does he say open to us a door so that we may go through it? He says, open up a door so the gospel may go through it. Isn't that what he says? He says, open to us a door for the word. To declare the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? We've already looked at this in Colossians chapter 1. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, fully made manifest uh, from the Old Testament to the New. What Paul is praying, that there would be open doors for the gospel to come from our mouths to the ears of other hearers. But look at where he is. Look at where he is. You want to participate in this morning's sermon. Where is Paul? He is in prison. Paul is in prison. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I'm going to be a little transparent. If I was in prison this morning for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would like to think the best thoughts about myself. But I know my heart. I know my sinful mind. And I know my selfishness. If I was in prison this morning for preaching the gospel, I'm not sure the first thing on my mind would be pray for an open door so that I may preach this gospel that just got me into prison. I'm just being honest with you. Unless you judge me, <laughs> most of us in this room would not be thinking that same thing. But this is what Paul is mindful of. And here's where this really challenges my heart this morning, and I hope it challenges yours too. If the Apostle Paul can pray for open doors for the gospel while he is in prison, how much more so should you or I pray for open doors for the gospel in our homes, 
or at our jobs tomorrow morning, in our classes, in our dorms, with our sweet mates, in our neighborhoods, in the grocery store, everywhere we go, you get the picture? And you know why it's so important for us to pray missional prayers like this? Why it's so important for us to even start our day, perhaps while even getting in the car and we crank it up, just making a conscious decision to pray, Father, as I go through my day to day, would you open doors for the gospel so that I may speak it in a way, in a clear way, which I ought to speak? You know why it's so crucial that we pray prayers like that? Because none of us in our selfishness think like that naturally. We just don't. It's not the first thing we're thinking about. Most of the time we're thinking about, oh my gosh, I hope I get there on time because I slept in, I slept in too much again, right? Or we're hoping, I hope I don't spill the coffee on me when, when I break at the next red light. That's normally what we're thinking about in the morning. And so to consciously and intentionally and on purposely pray, God, open up doors of opportunity for me today. So that when I'm at the cash register later buying groceries and I'm seeing the, the young girl just being, um, just being reamed out because she made a mistake with the person in front of me, I can get up there and I'm conscious. I prayed this this morning. Here's an opportunity. Can I just tell you that I'm really sorry you had to endure that? I just want you to know that I'll be a really good customer for you. You're not going to have any problems from me. And just so you know, I'll pray for you as I walk out the door today. What good does that do for a lost and dying world? But oftentimes, I would never be mindful of that if I wasn't praying towards that end. You see, at the end of the day, prayer is not just about asking God to do something for us or to give us things. Prayer is also a means through which God changes our hearts, changes our mindsets, and affects our behavior. And so if there's a specific behavioral change that you want to make in your life by the power of the gospel, one of the ways the Bible would tell you to get there is by praying towards that end and praying constantly and continually because God will use those prayers to change our hearts and to change our behaviors. So our prayers matter if we're going to be intentional in this haphazard world. Pray continually, pray extensively, pray missionally. Next, your lifestyle matters. Your lifestyle matters. In verse 5, he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, walking in wisdom. Oftentimes, when we think about wisdom, perhaps we think about a, a, a gray-haired, 80-year-old man sitting in his recliner. Or perhaps we're thinking about a Yoda-like figure in Star Wars, right? And <laughs> Walk like God you must, right? I mean, that's kind of what we think about when we think about wisdom. But wisdom is actually not simply for the old. Wisdom is not simply for the seasoned. Wisdom is for every Christ follower. You go, Chris, well, what exactly is wisdom? Because, I mean, I know a lot of facts See, this is the thing. Wisdom is not based on simply information. There are a lot of people who are wicked smart. They have PhDs. They have degrees plastered all over their walls. In the world's eyes, they are brilliant intellects, but they're not very wise. You see, there's a difference between intellectual smart 
and wisdom and wise in God's eyes. What wisdom is, this is my basic definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern between right and wrong based on the teachings of God. It is the ability to to discern between right and wrong based on the teachings of God. Now, how do we get wisdom? Well, we grow in wisdom through multiple different means, but at least two primary means. One is knowing the Word of God. Knowing the Word of God. We, We need to know what God expects from us. We need to know what God desires, what He loves, what He hates. And so the Bible is one of the primary sources to know and grow in wisdom, but also we learn wisdom from other people. We learn wisdom from God's people. We look to their example because what their example is going to do for us is it's going to show us God's commands in action. It's not just about having information for information's sake. It's about knowing what God loves and what he hates and then living it out. And one of the primary ways in which we see it lived out is from other people. So God wants us to be wise, but also to walk wisely. To walk in a way that would mirror and show the world, show others that we actually belong to Jesus. That there has been a transformation in our lives. And that's what Paul wants us to do here. And in the context of the paragraph and thinking about outsiders, here's an important truth this morning. If you've dozed off for a moment, it'd be a great point to, a great point to check back in. Here's an important truth. Your life matters. Now, you may be tempted to think that, man, I'm a nobody. My life doesn't matter. What I do It doesn't matter. What I think doesn't matter. Here's what I want you to know. If you are a Christian today, if the gospel has taken root in your heart, if the gospel has changed your life, your life matters. Your lifestyle matters. What you do matters. What you don't do, it matters. Now, this is radical in the eyes of the world because in our 21st century Western world, The world says that your life is all about you. It's it's your choices. And, And who is anyone else to tell you what you should do or how you should live your life? The world teaches that you are an island. The world teaches that you live in isolation, that what you do, what you think, where you go, where you don't go, it's just you, it doesn't matter. But what Paul will tell you is that it does. So don't buy into the individualistic mindset of your culture. Now, here's why we should walk wisely. We should walk wisely so that opportunities are not wasted. We should walk wisely so that opportunities are not wasted. He says that we should make the best use of the time. Now, in the New Testament, there are basically two different um, Greek words for time in its simplest sense. And one of those refers to the actual time it is. Like looking at a clock and seeing that it is 11.15 a.m. The other is, a rela- is in relationship to an opportunity. Like it was the time to go to work. It was time to leave. It was time to wake up and listen to the sermon, right? So that it's an opportunity that you have in front of you. And, and that's the meaning Paul is getting at here. It's that in this world... As we leave and we live our ordinary, average, boring lives. Or is that just mine? Okay, so as we go out and live our average, ordinary, normal lives, that our lives 
consists of a whole bunch of individual opportunities on any given day. And the reason why we should walk in wisdom and walk in a way that reflects the wisdom of God and not worldly passions in our heart is because God doesn't want us to waste opportunities. He doesn't want us to to waste a conversation. He doesn't want us to waste an opportunity to show the love of God or the change of the gospel in our lives. And so what Paul's not doing is he's not simply telling us not to waste time like binge-watching Netflix or scrolling through the news feed. It's in the sense of praying for open doors for the gospel. And when those opportunities come, or those opportunities come to serve others, that we don't waste them. We don't let, we don't let them just fly by like a, a fastball, and then we swing and miss. These opportunities are around us on any given day. They're the opportunities to, to help our neighbors with their lawn or to help our neighbors take their trash out or in. They're opportunities to uh, shovel people's driveways in eight or nine months. Not now anymore, Right? There are opportunities to bless the cashier at the grocery store. There are opportunities to write someone a kind note. There are opportunities to actually sit and listen to someone and rather than just spill your guts and just telling them your opinion, to just be a listening ear. These opportunities are around us all the time. And Paul says that the way you live your life, the way you conduct yourself, the way you act will lead towards making the most of every opportunity and not wasting them. Your lifestyle matters. But it also matters because we should walk wisely so that people are not wasted. Not just opportunities. As if God is a God who just cares about time. God is a God who cares about people. And the reason why we don't want to waste opportunities is because we don't want to waste people. Chris, you may, you may be thinking, Chris, that seems a little harsh. That seems like really serious. It is. The, the Bible actually tells us that, that our lives as Christians matter. Our responses matter. The way we live matters. Because we don't want people to be wasted. Where do we see this? He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Why is this so important? Because I, I think sometimes in our Christian life, we see the Christian life as in whatever God commands us to do, it is simply for my good alone. That walking in wisdom is what's best for me. And by the way, it is. But we leave it there. And that God's goal for me is just simply to be the best possible reflection of Jesus that I can possibly be for my good. And then it stops. But what Paul says is he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And I really believe inferred here is walk wisely Reflect Jesus in your lifestyle for the sake of outsiders. For the sake of those who don't know Jesus. Because the reality is, yes, people need to hear the gospel. But they also need to see the gospel. And when there is incongruency between what the church of Jesus Christ says about the gospel... And how the church of Jesus Christ lives out the gospel. When there's incongruency there, we do great harm towards our lost brothers and sisters. And towards our lost neighbors and the lost family members in our lives. Now where do we see this? 
We see this in multiple places in the New Testament, but for the sake of time, I'm going to share a couple of places from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 16, to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So very quickly there, what Jesus tells us is that there is a direct correlation between my behavior as a Christian, my lifestyle, and my choices as a Christian, and a lost person's ability to glorify God who is in heaven. Is that not what Jesus says right there? There's a direct correlation. So I can't simply say that my life is all about me. And that my choices are all about me and it's nobody else's business. Jesus says that's not true. Your life, your walking wisely actually is a means through which I show the world what I'm like. And I, show the, I, I can show the world what my people are like and what I'm desiring from humanity. And Matthew 18, and this one's really heavy, get ready for it. Not my words, but Jesus's. In Matthew 18, Jesus says this about being a stumbling block towards others. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in, and believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is heavy teaching from our master, from our Lord, from our Savior. And what Jesus is ultimately telling us here is that our lives can either lead people towards the Father or our lives could actually repel people away from the Father. And that we should walk in a way that approves what is right and excellent and is wise, not causing anyone else to stumble or not causing someone to have something approved that God would never approve. Our lives matter. Someone once said, you are writing a gospel each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, distorted or true. What is the gospel according to you? It's one of my uh, favorite stories of uh, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist and theologian in the, and in the early 20th century. And this is actually, it actually comes from Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president of the United States. He told the story of being in a barber shop one time. And he says this, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I had left that place as I should have left a place of worship. You may not be the great D.L. Moody, but what God desires so strongly from his people is that as we are walking in this world, as we are encountering everyday people, those whom we know and those whom we don't know, 
that God simply desires an aura to be around us that is pointing people towards Jesus, that is simply walking in wisdom and is pointing people to what his way on earth is supposed to be. And so if we're going to live intentionally in a haphazard world, we must know that our prayers matter. We must know that our lifestyles, they matter. And lastly, we need to know this, that our words matter. Your words matter. Words are important to God. Do you know how we know that words are important to God? Is because the Bible talks about our speech, our tongue, and our words all over the place in the scriptures. I'm just going to give you a sampling, okay? Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Psalm 141, verse 3, the psalmist writes, Set a guard, O Lord, for my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. James chapter 3, in a very extended passage, talking about the power of words. Here's a little snippet. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so we see from the Old Testament to the New, the devastating effect that our words can have on ourselves and those who are around us. But the Bible also tells us the converse of that. The Bible also gives us the opposite of that. In Proverbs 25, 11, the, the, uh, the writer says this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And so we literally see that the, that the tongue has the power to both bless and give life or curse and wish death. And so what Paul says in verse 6, he says, Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And so let's talk about this for a few moments before we close. That means that, one, we should talk graciously. We should be people who simply talk graciously. We are, we are speaking words that build up. We are speaking words that do not tear down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 uh, the, you know, the book of Ephesians is very similar to the book of Colossians from the same Apostle Paul. He says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This means that when we're in conversation with people, no matter what's going on in here, how agitated we have become, or how angry we are, The Bible says that we should bridle our tongue in a way that we are very careful about how we let those words just come out and lash out against our brother, our sister, our family member, our friend. Because words are so powerful. Words are like weapons. They wound. And they sometimes wound even far more deeply than an actual physical pain can wound. And so we should be mindful about what we say. But, but can I just take this in a direction which should probably cause us a little bit of pause this morning? Perhaps not just what we say, but maybe what we write. Maybe what we 
comment on, on maybe some social media apps, like, I don't know, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or things like, I mean, you probably don't do that kind of stuff, but if you did have that app, hypothetically, it might be good to know how we should operate when we are perusing uh, said app on our smart device, right? This is one of the things as a pastor that, as I tell you, is so hard. I mean, you're scrolling through the news feed, and I don't know if you know this about pastors, but we are self-appointed experts on all topics of life, and so there, there's really nothing that I can see on social media that I do not have a very smart, witting, and compelling response to. But you all know the world of social media, right? It's a cesspool. It's a cesspool of human vernacular. And if we're not careful, what we will do is we will do such harm for the gospel just by what we like or what we frown upon or what we respond to something that someone else has just conjectured about. And even as a pastor, I have to be so careful about this on, on, on social media because I don't want my comment about secondary or tertiary, or tertiary matters in this world to harm my witness and my ability to speak the gospel into people's lives. And so I want to really caution you. Talk with grace. Talk with grace personally. Talk with grace publicly. Whether you are speaking those words, whether you are typing those words for public consumption. Paul would want us to talk graciously. But he says also that we should, uh, we should talk in a manner, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned, with salt. Salt was a very high commodity in the first century world. In numerous ways, the New Testament listeners would have immediately been familiar with the value of salt. For instance, the Romans thought salt to be so important that they only placed the sun as more important than salt. Roman soldiers were even paid in salt. Employers don't get any ideas that won't fly in America, right? But Roman soldiers were paid in salt. And in some pockets of society, salt was even a mark of friendship. So at your next housewarming party, just bring a box of salt. I mean, that I guess would be a good housewarming gift. It was a mark of friendship. I guess it was the Facebook of the day. So I guess instead of friending someone, you salted them. But I mean, this was just the reality of the first century World, But one of the reasons why salt was so valuable is because, think about it even practically speaking, in a world where there was no freezer, there was no refrigerator, salt was a preserving agent. And so if you can just imagine, some of us have been overseas where you've been in the outdoor meat markets. It's wonderful. (laughs) It smells scrumptious. No, it's horrible. But there's just meat just hanging up for people to come and buy and to take home to cook, to feed their family. But what do you do if you don't have a freezer, you don't have a refrigerator? What do you do? You you sprinkle salt because salt will at least preserve the meat a little bit longer than it would have had had it not had the salt. When we sit down today for lunch or dinner, we put salt on our food. Why? To enhance the flavor. There's something about salt that actually brings out the flavor in, in certain foods. And so this is the idea. Jesus tells us that we as Christians are the salt of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. And so in one sense, we are a preserving agent here on earth. Do you believe the world is sinful? 
Do you believe it's chaotic? Do you believe it's painful and hurtful and all of those other adjectives we could use to describe the world? Imagine how much worse it would be if Christians were not on the planet. When Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is, is that we are preserving the culture. We are preserving society in ways that if you were to remove us, it would just become rancorous and rotten even more so than we see it as. And so we're to be the salt. But we also are to be the people who bring life and vitality and bring the flavor out of life, right? And so here's what this means for us. Not only should we talk graciously, we should also talk winsomely in a winsome manner. But so often Christians are known for our negativity. We are known for our hypocrisy. We are known for our our shouting and our picketing and our being against everything. What Paul would tell us today in the 21st century in America is that it's time for Christians to be known for their reasonableness. It's time for us to be known for our winsome nature, for more plausible arguments, for encouraging words, gracious words. And he goes on to say here that the reason why our speech should be gracious and seasoned with salt is so that we would know how to answer each person. And when you put this in context of earlier when he's praying that they would have open doors for the gospel so that they might be able to make it clear, which is how they ought to speak, you see very quickly that the whole purpose for seasoning our words with salt, being gracious with our language, building people up and not tearing them down, is to be an apologetic and a method of evangelism that we may win the hearts of those whom we're around. Peter says this exact same thing. And perhaps you know this verse if you've walked with Jesus for a while. But Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There are so many times when I'm having conversations with people, whether on campus, whether it's here, whether it's in a counseling session, and I will tell you from a human standpoint, there are so many things that I just want to jump on. I want to correct. I want to, I want to give my opinion on. But there are so many moments where the Holy Spirit will catch me and say, don't go there. Don't open that up. Don't go down that road because it's not going to produce life here it's going to do more harm than good and what paul is telling us is that we should be discerning in our speech discerning in our lifestyles because our lifestyles matter our speech matters and of course our prayer also matters here's how i'd like to close this morning these are these are challenging principles for us but i want to go all the way back to the beginning god doesn't want you to live haphazardly in your spiritual life He doesn't want you to leave this place today and just live by accident and just hope that every now and then you're going to get it right and be a good witness for Christ. Instead, what he wants you to do is he wants you to leave this place today and he wants you to live on purpose. He wants you to live intentionally. And so let's just go down through here very quickly and let me me ask you to reflect. Will you live intentionally with your prayer life? Today, would you take some of the practical things we've talked about And say, God, I I want my prayers to matter. I don't want to just pray reactively when things come my way. I also want to pray proactively towards something else. 
perhaps today there would be a man or a woman, a, a brother or sister, a child, a cousin, a roommate, a friend, that you're, you see their face and you know their name and you just want to commit anew to pray for them on a daily basis that God might save them and the gospel of Jesus Christ may take root in their lives. But know today that your prayers matter and so will you rectify the places in your life where you know that your prayers don't really matter because you're not praying. Secondly, think about your lifestyle. Are there things that you do that deep down you know you probably shouldn't be doing, and deep down you know that they don't reflect Jesus, but you've kind of come to this world where you just make room for it. You accommodate it because you just lied to yourself to say, well, everybody sins and this is my thing. I want you to renew today and to be aware of the fact that if you're in the if you're in Christ, if you've been changed by the gospel, your life matters. And all the minute details of your life and the major things matter. And so perhaps today would be a time where you would just lay those things at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I repent of doing that. I repent of not doing this. I repent of going there. I repent of not going there. Would you just be specific before the Lord today and say, God, would you bring me under the lordship of Jesus today and start transforming my lifestyle so that I more accurately project a wise walk to the watching world? And lastly, you don't need me to tell you that the tongue is dangerous because you know even this week that you have been hurt by the words of others and you have hurt others by the power of your tongue. And so today... Would you just confess those things to God? Release them to Him. And maybe for the first time in your life, admit that what I've said or what I am saying or what I normally say is sin. And it's wrong. And it's not wise. And it tears down others rather than building others up. Would you release those things to God today? And recommit yourself anew to not only pray intentionally, but also to walk wisely and to talk wisely. And all of this is by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same gospel that has saved you is the same gospel that will empower you to do these impossible things we've looked at today. I'm going to pray for us. Our team is going to come and lead us musically. And then as when I say amen, that's the time for you to sing, to pray, to respond to the Lord in response to the words you've heard today. Father, we thank you for bringing us to your word today, recognizing that this is the rule of our lives, recognizing that your word is true wisdom, and we recognize all the ways in which we do not walk wisely, we do not talk wisely, and we do not pray intentionally. And so, Father, we recognize that if any of us in this room is going to do these things that you've commanded us to do in your text today, We need your help and your empowerment to do those things. And so right now, I pray for those who need to repent, that we would turn from destructive behavior, we would turn from unwise behavior, and we would turn towards wise way of living through Christ. And so, Father, bring us to the end of ourselves today, and you bring us to yourself so that we may leave this place today and show the world, to show the world, that we belong to Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.